You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. And if Brownson is correct, and Paul is referring to Gaius Caligula's actual behavior, uh, which Paul's contemporaries, Philo, Dias Cassius, and Dio Chrysostom, all wrote about with similar language, then he's describing harmful behavior that most LGBTQ people would condemn. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 280 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. It's a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of love and compassion and action and justice. Our title this week is Calling Good Evil Part 4, and our feature text is Luke 6, 43 through 44. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. And as we continue this series this week, we're going to be looking at a passage that Christians have used probably the most. I don't know that statistically, but but it's the one I hear about the most. To harm and to use in destructive ways against Christian and non-Christian LGBTQ communities. And that is Paul's words in Romans chapter 1. And I want to begin with the basic understanding that the culture in which Paul wrote uh, these words, this culture was one where the earth was thought to be, remember, at the center of the universe. Uh, The culture knew nothing of germ theory. It held women as of lesser than than men. Uh, It practiced slavery as as morally and ethically innocent. And, And it knew nothing of what we understand today as a person's sexual orientation or gender identity. And and Paul's society, and this is key this week, Paul's society assumed that everyone was born with what we would call today um, a straight, uh, well, we would call it a straight orientation. They didn't understand orientation back then, um, but, but, but what we'd call today straight, Paul's society believed everybody was born straight, and they thought that that gender, too, was, was binary and was static. And Matthew Vines, remember, that's one of the, the, the voices that were amplified. And in this series, in his book, God and the Gay Christian, page 38, Matthew Vines tells us how how Paul's society viewed same-sex relations. He writes, uh, this again, page 38, the, the fact that societies of the biblical world associated same-sex relations with sexual excess rather than sexual orientation has been conceded even by a number of non-affirming scholars. So even those who interpret Romans 1 in a harmful and destructive way, they too admit that that same-sex relations were typically associated with excess rather than orientation. And this is going to be key as we continue. If we're going to interpret Paul's words in Romans 1 without harming those who are demonstrably different from cisgender heterosexual people, 
we first have to understand that Paul's society assumed that all people naturally possessed uh, what we call a straight orientation and that same-sex relations could only result from straight people with out-of-control lust being being satisfied by different sex and same-sex sexual acts. And again, this society had no understanding, as, as we have today, of, of humanity's ability to naturally possess other orientations. Today we know that that humanity can can that human beings can also naturally possess lesbian, gay or bisexual orientations and these orientations don't uh, they, they don't in the least bit imply the simultaneous possession of of out of control lust or what we might call today a sex addiction. Um, out of control lust can occur within all orientations and I have bisexual friends that that today practiced a more holistic, a more non-objectifying, a values-based, humanizing sexual ethic than do a lot of my straight friends. So, so let's, with this in mind, let's begin. This is Paul's words in Romans 1. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like a mortal human being or birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. There, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossipers, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to to do these very things, but also approve those who practice them. Let me just first go on record as saying this description does not represent one gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender friend that I have. None of my friends who have a different orientation or gender identification would would even remotely uh, uh, come close 
to resembling this kind of a, a, a description. And at this point, I want to turn to Brownson's work on this text. His evidence for what may be lying behind this passage, it, this is the one interpretation that's resonated the most with me. And this he write, This is page 154 of Bible, Gender, Sexuality, Reframing the Church's Debate on Same-Sex Relationships. He writes, we see a similar connection between idolatry and excessive lust and perversion in the wisdom of Solomon, a Jewish apocryphal text dating from a period not long before Paul's writings. So this is from another passage. This is uh, uh, Wisdom of Solomon 14.12 and 23-28. through 28. For the idea of making idols was the beginning of fornication, and the invention of them was the corruption of life. For whether they killed <clears throat> children in their initiations or celebrate secret mysteries or hold frenzied revels with strange customs. They no longer keep either their lives or their marriages pure, but they either treacherously kill one another or grieve one another by adultery, and all is a raging riot of blood and murder, theft and deceit, corruption and faithlessness, tumult, perjury, confusion over what is good, forgetfulness of favors, defiling of souls, sexual perversion, disorder in marriages, adultery, debauchery, for the worship of idols, not to be Named is the beginning and the cause and end of every uh, evil. So again, this was the way that culture viewed associated idolatry with with excess. And the fact that these authors that they tie idolatry to objectifying lust. I think it's telling, and as we're going to continue this week, I want you to continue asking yourself, is what Paul could have been writing about even remotely related to committed, faithful, consensual, loving, same-sex relationships back then or today? Paul's culture, again, viewed same-sex relations as, as conducted by, by straight people going against their natural straight orientation because of insatiable lust. Something was out of order for them. And Brownson offers uh, more evidence from a Roman orator of, uh, during that same time period. Uh, this is from one pa page uh, 154 to 155. Uh, the Roman orator Dio Chrysostom, uh, for example, who wrote shortly after Paul's time, speaks of same-sex eroticism as the manifestation of insatiable lust. The man whose appetite is insatiate in such things, when he finds there is no scarcity, no resistance in this field, will have contempt for the easy conquest and scorn of a woman's love as a thing too readily given, in fact, too utterly fem feminine, and will turn his assault against the male quarters, eager to befoul the youth who will very soon be magistrates and judges and generals, believing that in them he will find a kind of pleasure difficult and hard to procure. His state is like that of men who are addicted to drinking or wine-bibbing who after long and steady drinking of unmixed wine often lose their taste for it and create an artificial thirst for the stimulus of sweating salted foods and condiments. So again, so far what Paul is describing, it looks nothing like committed, faithful, consensual, loving, same-sex relationships uh, that are aligned with their their orientation that, that that one is that one possesses naturally and again so far uh, what Paul is describing looks nothing like committed faithful consensual loving same-sex relationships that are aligned with whichever orientation 
one naturally possesses. But the example that forever changed how I read Romans 1 is the story of Gaius Caligula. He was a Roman emperor whose excess and lust, it fits Paul's description in Romans 1 uh, perfectly. And please forgive the length of this next passage from Bronson. I know it's it's a lengthy portion to quote, and, and we're never supposed to quote this much, uh, but I, I want you to get the whole story. And, and, and a content note here, just a warning, this story does contain uh, a graphic sexual violence, and it includes a rape and forced same-sex relations as, as entertainment. But uh, again, this is from Brownson's book, uh, the, the same one. It's page 156 through uh, 158. Neil Elliott has called attention to the striking similarities between Paul's language and the incredible greed, violence, and sexual excess of Gaius Caligula, an emperor who reigned in a period not too long before Paul wrote Romans. First of all, Gaius is closely linked to the practice of idolatry. The Roman writer Suetonius reports how Gaius set up a special temple to his own godhead with priests and with victims of the choicest kind. Another writer, Dio Cassius, Roman writer, comments negatively on how Gaius was the only emperor to claim to be divine and to be the recipient of worship during his own lifetime. Gaius also tried at one point to arrest a statue of himself in the temple in Jerusalem, he was dissuaded only by a delegation from Herod Agrippa. Hence, the link between Gaius and idolatry would have been well known indeed, particularly in Jewish circles. But Gaius also serves as exhibit A for out-of-control lust. Suetonius reports how Gaius lived in perpetual incest with all his sisters, and at a large banquet he placed each of them in turn below him while his wife reclined above. He records gruesome examples of Gaius's arbitrary violence, vindictiveness, and cruelty. Later, Suetonius chronicles Gaius's sexual relations with the wives of dinner guests, raping them in an adjoining room, and then returning to the banquet to comment on their performance. Various same-sex sexual encounters between Gaius and other men are similarly recounted. Finally, a military officer whom he had sexually humiliated, joined a conspiracy to murder him, which they did less than four years into his reign. Suetonius records that Gaius was stabbed through the genitals when he was murdered. One wonders whether we can hear an echo of this gruesome story and Paul's comments in Romans 1.27 men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own person the due penalty for their error. Gaius Caligula graphically illustrates the reality of which Paul speaks in Romans 1. The movement from idolatry to insatiable lust and to every form of depravity and violent murderous reprisal uh, that such behavior engenders. Interestingly, Elliot notes how the Jewish writer Philo writes in similarly scathing terms of the evils of Gaius Caligula, interpreting his depravity as the result of his refusal to honor God and his death as a manifestation of divine justice. This suggests that Gaius's excesses and the divine judgment incurred by them were a common theme that would have been familiar to many Jews in the ancient world. Again, that 
that's from Brownson, uh, Bible, Gender, Sexuality, Reframing the Church's Debate on Same-Sex Relationships, page 156 through 158. And if Brownson is correct, and Paul is referring to Gaius Caligula's actual behavior, uh, which Paul's contemporaries, Philo, Dias Cassius, and Dio Chrysostom, all wrote about with similar language, then he's describing harmful behavior that most LGBTQ people would condemn alongside most straight cisgender people. So like everyone else in his society, Paul knew nothing of what we refer to today as someone's sexual orientation. The only instance of same-sex relations that Paul wrote about were rooted in, in Gaius's violent lustfulness. Gaius's narrative, it doesn't even remotely represent the numberless, committed, faithful, consensual, loving same-sex couples who, whose love, not their lust, but whose love was forcibly hidden for their own safety from straight cisgender people like me. The, the violating behavior of Guy's Caligula, it should be rightly condemned. That part is right. And still, I have yet to meet a Christian LGBTQ person or a couple who even remotely resembles what we're reading about this week. Do we have the courage to admit that our interpretations have been wrong? Can we own up when our interpretations have done demonstrable bodily harm to a group of humans born different than others? Do we have the courage to, to, to let go of those damaging interpretations and make them give way to life-giving interpretations instead? We have a lot to, to ponder this week, and we also have a lot to apologize for. And, and I, I hope to conclude next week as this series, as we are considering just one more passage from the New Testament, and then we're going to return to the, the Genesis story itself with Adam and Eve. But for now, uh, remember Luke 6, 43-44, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. Heart Group Application, this week I want to ask you as a group to discuss your progress on last week's Heart Group Application. Last week I actually I asked you to do something, and this week I want you to, to uh, 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 talk about that. You were to make a list of ways that you as a group uh, can be more inclusive of those that others are excluding, and, and then begin to put those, those things you put on your list, put those into practice. So number one this week, how were you successful over the last uh, seven days? Um, and number two, how were you not successful this week? And then number three, looking at, at both of the above, how you were both successful and non-successful, what can you do better uh, this week? Next week will be our last installment in this series, and, and uh, next week's heart group application, I'm going to have a very special offer where our heart groups can engage more deeply in the work of creating safe spaces uh, uh, out of each of our heart groups. But until then, uh, I'm so glad you're still with us along this journey. If you're still listening, if you're still tracking, um, thank you for sticking with this, this topic and, and, and for wanting to, to be a source of life and, and healing in our world rather than uh, destruction and harm. And together, we can shape our society into a safe, uh, compassionate, just home for all. So where you are today, wherever that is, keep living in love, 
compassion, action, and justice. Another world is possible. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.